When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 6.30 Chad. Well, the Carolina Hurricanes have opened it up. Now three minutes into the third period, they lead Columbus 4-0. Stahl, Teravainen, Nita Ryder, and Trocek, the goal scorers. The shots on goal in the game. Now, I want to remind you, this is three minutes into the third period. The score is 4-0 Carolina over Columbus. The shots are 41-9 in favor of the Hurricanes. 41-9. That's the Oilers' opponent on Sunday. Tomorrow, it's the Florida Panthers, 9 a.m. for the face-off show. The game starts at 10.30. No sleeping in on a Saturday. I want you there at 9. Have your coffee or your tea or your orange juice or your apple juice. What else do people drink in the morning, Chris? I don't know. Your smoothie? Do people have smoothies for breakfast? Is that a thing? A little breakfast anytime is nice. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chris Gardner back at this uh, 6.30 Shed Broadcasting Compound tonight, by the way. Blues uh, leading the Sabres 2-1. That's early in the second period and late in the first. New Jersey and Chicago are tied 1-1. Oh, we were talking about uh, Brandon Hagel. He has his 15th of the season for the uh, Chicago Blackhawks, or Brandon Hagel, pardon me. And uh, Hughes has the goal for the New Jersey Devils. Later on tonight, Winnipeg at Colorado. Golden Knights play the Coyotes, and it's going to be the Kings up against the Ducks. And again, Oilers fans, you just don't want that one to go to overtime. Getting two points, fine. You don't want those teams to split three along the way. Okay, uh, hey, the Olympics, so many great stories for Canada. One of them from the Edmonton area. She won a bronze medal in Monobob. Please welcome to the show, Christine De Bruin. Christine, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for hopping on the show, and congratulations as you are now an Olympic medalist, a title that never goes away. How does that feel? Yeah, it's pretty sweet. It's pretty surreal still. Um, It also feels like I did it like months ago now because it's just such a different world from the Olympics to to just normal home life. (laughs) Yeah, well, obviously uh, the Olympics were, I I just know from what I watched on TV, you know, it felt different. Like how was it there just dealing with COVID and being in China and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, like we've been dealing with COVID for the past two years already. So it felt that's almost normal to us now, not having fans around. Um, I feel like everybody still did a really good job of cheering us on, though, all of our teammates and staff members. So that was really cool because we actually did have people cheering again. And I'm like, oh, what is this? (laughs) So, yeah, that was awesome. And then... You know, being in in the bubble actually was pretty good as well because the whole season we were pretty stressed out about getting COVID and like not so much about getting sick. Um, That was never really the concern. It was more so just about not being able to compete. 
Um, so then now that we were like in the bubble in China, it actually brought down a lot of stress from everybody that we could just just compete and knew that we were going to be okay. We weren't going to get COVID because um, we were getting PCR tested every single day. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, so you got the bronze uh, in monobop, which uh, a new event to the, uh, to the Olympics. Tell us about, you know, the, the moment. Um, did it take a while to click in? Uh, you know, tell us about waiting for results and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so as soon as I cross the finish line, there's the breaking stretch, and the breaking stretch has three humps. Um, on the second hump, it actually shows you your time and if you're ahead or, or behind and by how much. And so I knew right away. Um, it, it was just a pretty surreal feeling. Also, just like, oh, I, I had got to like take a deep breath. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's over because <laughs> it's so much stress. Trying to be consistent over four runs is really, really hard and stressful. So it's like, finally, just like, okay, it's done. It's over. And yeah, my coach actually, when we got to the breaking stretch, I had that feeling of just like relief. And she's like, why aren't you happy? You need to be happy. I'm like, I am happy. I'm just like excited, you know, like, and just, oh, it's done. Um, and then it's like, just, yeah, super overwhelming. All of a sudden, all these people are coming up to me and congratulating me. And then there's doping control yelling at me that I needed to go pee. And like, all these different things, you need to go to the medal ceremony right now. And I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? So... Yeah, it was pretty pretty amazing, but at the same time, I had my two-man training the next day. So then it was also hard because I wanted to celebrate, but then at the same time, I needed to stay focused for that because um, I was a medal contender for that. So I was like, hey, I need to stay focused and try to do as best as I possibly can. So it was a very like mixed emotions that were going on. Wow. So when did you have time to call parents, family, even text somebody <laughs> yeah i i that's what i appreciate i texted my my family afterwards um probably eight or nine hours afterwards i finally had time after all the media stuff and doping control and getting the sled ready for the next day for training and getting rid of the monobob and all the stuff like that there's a lot of stuff that goes into bob say i think people don't see on tv um, but yeah, I finally got to tell everybody then. And then I also had a, a, one of the interviews, my sister surprised me with her kids. So that was really cute at 10 o'clock at night. So that was awesome. That's awesome. So Monobob is uh, new to the Olympics. You're going to have to help me out here. Like how, when has it sort of been introduced? Uh, and, and how did you specifically get into it? Yeah, it got introduced, I think, the year after the Pyeongchang Olympics, so 2019. Okay. Um, except for they were trying to find the right sled for it, and it was like kind of weird how they had it all set up. They didn't have it on World Cup circuits yet, um, and not until last year. So I didn't actually start doing it until last January. Um, and then there's more of a standardized sled then, and that every nation had to had to buy. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and so that was really interesting, too, because I got last place in my first race. Oh, my like, goodness. Awful at it. The sled wasn't reacting the way I wanted it to. I'm like, how are people driving this thing? In the end, we found out we didn't have it set up properly, 
So we went to Whistler in March and we figured it all out. And now it actually drives like a normal sled. So that's also why like it got a lot better this past season. And also this was the first season where I actually did eight monobob races. So like all of the World Cup races, um, they had a monobob race. Okay, man, I didn't realize you got last in your very first race. So it's good for you. You stuck with it. Yeah. <laughs> could've, you could have been easy to say, yeah, I don't like this new thing. Yeah, it's <laughs> a competitive nature coming out. <laughs> Christine De Bruyne joining us tonight on Inside Sports, uh, Olympic bronze medalist in Monobob. So uh, you got a really cool story. Um, take us through, uh, because I believe you were in track and field. Uh, and what, was it at the U of A and then you sort of got into to bobsled? What happened there? Yeah, so I was yeah competing at the U of A for track and field and did mostly like the 60 meter, 300, um, the relay as well. Um, and I was basically, I just got to a point in my career where I was like, I'm just done. Like looking at people beside me being like, why are we racing? This doesn't even make sense. <laughs> so then I was like, that's when I kind of need, think, you know, you, you I've lost my passion for it. Um, I was just ready to like start my life, um, yeah, finish my degree. And my track coach has some connections with the bobsleigh team. And he was like, I don't think you're done yet. Like, yeah, sure, in track and field, maybe like you're going to go to nationals, but I don't know if we're ever going to make an international team. Um, but in bobsleigh, I think you could be great. So go and give it a try. Um, so like, okay, I'll just do it for you, whatever. So yeah, I tried out, made the team. And yeah, I've been doing that for 11 years now. Wow. Awesome. Okay. Well, good for you. And, uh, I, I grew up, uh, in a small town, Evansburg and tell us about your small town roots and, uh, and the sports that kept you busy as a kid. Yeah, I grew up right outside of Stony Plain. Um, I went to Blueberry Community School, Stony Plain Central and Memorial High School. Um, I played lots of soccer and then also, um, Kind of when I got into like junior high, I started doing basketball and volleyball. Um, and then track and field was always kind of there. I, I made it pretty far. In grade seven, we started going competing against other schools. And I won the event, the 100 meter. And I was like, oh, I could be actually pretty good at this thing. So then I started, you know, I joined club and started going for that. And then in high school, I just decided just to focus on track and field altogether, which now like being older, I think maybe that was a mistake. I probably should have diversified a bit. But at the time, I was so into, like, so focused into uh, sprinting. Like, I need to get better at this only. But, yeah, I, I thought, you know, I did quite a bit when I was younger. Uh, where do you th your athleticism and your competitiveness, does that come from one parent or the other, a family, any family member, or what do you think? Um, no, I don't know. It's pretty interesting. Like, my family's pretty split half and half. Like, some are pretty artsy. And then there's there's my brother, I would say. I probably got it from. Um, I have two brothers, my younger one out of the two. Um, he played football and did all that stuff like that. He always made me throw the football around with him at night because he had to practice. And he said it was, like, impossible. He's like, I don't want you to throw like a girl. So you're going to practice. Oh, it. my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So. Uh... It's kind of a more serious question, I guess. Um, I've talked to a lot of Olympians over the years, and there's the big ramp up to the games, and with that sometimes comes well more fun, more attention for sure, and sometimes more funding. And then the Olympics end, and I've heard well, then the next two, sometimes even three years, you know, we don't get the attention, and and people forget about us. How, how has been that been for you? Have there been sort of the uh, 
I don't know if frustration is the right word, but maybe more more challenges just to to keep pushing through. You know, once you get at the new start of an Olympic cycle. Yeah, I guess I'm still riding a pretty big high right now, so I don't really see that yet. And after Pyeongchang, I actually got more sponsors um, because I went to the Olympics already. So that was like, okay, we can actually invest in you now. Um, I have also heard that a lot from you know my my teammates and stuff like that, but I personally haven't really really seen that yet. Okay, uh, I was reading a little bit about you. I, I if I'm right, you and I share a favorite Canadian sports memory. Is this true? 1996, Donovan Bailey. Mm-hmm. Tell yeah. us where. Tell us where you were. All that kind of stuff. Um. Yeah, in my living room, watching it. I remember as a kid, just loving it. You know, again, I love track and field. I love running. Um, so to see a Canadian win that, I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Like, I want to be an Olympian. Yeah. yeah. And I, I remember watching that and just because I, I'm, you probably don't necessarily remember the Ben Johnson. We thought he had the gold medal mm-hmm. and then he didn't. So, you know, that was such yeah. a, <laughs> such a comeback for, for Canada to get that mm-hmm. uh, after it didn't go for Ben Johnson. Okay. So, uh, well, what's happening now? I mean, there's spring, summer coming up. What are you going to do? What's next for you? Uh, yeah, so I'm staying in Edmonton for a little bit, visiting my my family. And then on Saturday, I'm actually going to go to the Netherlands and meet up with my husband. And then we're going to go have a little vacay. Uh, we really need some sun in our lives right now. Uh, so we're going to go to the Canary Islands. And then we're going to go to Florida for a bit. We have some friends there. Um, and then we'll come back to Canada. We also have some kind of a thing, a Navy partnership with Bobsleigh Canada. And so I'll be going to Halifax and uh, doing some cool things with the Navy. And then, yeah, like we're just going to just try to travel as much as we possibly can. We love doing it. So that, that's our summer. Awesome. And a, a ton of training, I assume. How often, what's a training session like for you? <laughs> Yeah, so in, in the summer, you're right, there is a lot. But usually we find a track or a gym when we're when we're um, traveling around, so it's quite easy. Um, but in the summer, um, in the morning, we usually train for three hours, then we have a little break, and then we have another three-hour session in the afternoon. So is that going to happen on the Canary Islands too, or will it scale back a little bit? No, Canary Islands is still on vacation. We're going to take about a month off. Yeah. Good, okay. Well, Christine, this is, uh, this is great. Um, you know, you're, you're a great story and, uh, I know everybody's really proud of you and I, and I hope there's, uh, just more great things to come in your career and in your life. We really appreciate the, you taking the time to come on inside sports. Yeah. Thank you so much. That is Christine De Bruin. Wow. Awesome to have her on the show. She went to Blueberry school. And then uh, went to school, Stony Plain High School. And now she's an Olympic bronze medalist in Monobob. I hope she has a great holiday. She's earned it. Really proud of her to get that uh, bronze medal in Monobob, a brand new Olympic sport. And you heard her tell the story. She wasn't very good at it at first, but she kept with it. And I I also loved her honesty about doing track and field and, and one day being getting ready for a race and looking at the people in the lanes next to her and thinking, why what are we doing what's the point and then she started pursuing uh bobsled and away she goes she's one of the best in the world that is awesome to have her on the show okay uh 720 we still got a lot to cover tonight of course a little more on the oilers and uh there's a brand new um league starting up um but it's not a pro league well we'll, we'll have all the details on that between 730 and 8 i think you're going to be interested inside sports on 630 chet 
You're listening to 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Edmonton Oil Kings have an early lead on the Regina Pats at Rogers Place. Shea Van Ohm scoring 247 into the first period. They're now coming up on the halfway point of the first. Oil Kings leading Connor Bedard on the Pats. One zip. Also, a couple of uh, early goals for the Jets tonight in Colorado. You got Kyle Connor scoring at 213. His 30th, Sveshnikov scoring at 748. So about halfway through the first, Jets leading the Avs 2-0. We'll give you the full NHL scoreboard after the uh, 730 news. Oilers tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock for the face-off show, 1030, drop of the puck. Oilers going up against the Florida Panthers. I had Mooner on between 630 and 7, and uh, we talked about a bunch of stuff, but talking a little bit about Mike Smith's performance the other night. Mooner said he wasn't a big fan of the uh, Stamkos goal scored late in the first period by Tampa Bay. That put them ahead to stay 2-1 at that point. They would eventually win 5-3. But I had former NHL goalie Kelly Rudy on the show last night, and uh, he has a different opinion on that Stamkos goal. In that case, I think uh, you have to sort of forgive the goaltender in that one if it hits somebody's stick, right? Just because... You're not guarding against that. And even though that's a, what I think, a, a troublesome spot to score on, and it's an epidemic around uh, the hockey world, not just the National Hockey League, but everywhere you go, um, that it's just too easy of a goal to give up, especially with the quality of shooters in today's game. But having said that, you're not guarding against protecting that spot when you don't know that it's going to hit somebody's stick. That's just a bad break to me. And so I get the timing again. That's a similar thing to what I said about the Braden Point goal. But uh, but more overall, just generally, uh, you just need better goaltending. And it's got to be on a consistent basis. Well, and uh, yeah, we talk about that a lot. Oilers, uh, five-on-five save percentage, 27th in the National Hockey League. If it were middle of the pack, 16th, 17th, you're probably looking at 12 fewer goals allowed. That's probably worth two to three wins. Oilers expected to once again go with 11 forwards and seven defensemen tomorrow. Marcus Niemelainen, he's uh, really become a mainstay back there on the blue line. And uh, Jay Woodcroft talked about what he saw from Niemelainen against the Lightning. You guys just asked about what you learn about your team when you're playing against the best best in the league, and I thought he gave a really good account of himself in that game, as did most of our players. Um, and for for me, Nemo is someone that uh, continues um, to work at his game on a daily basis. He's very coachable, and uh, to me, his improvement is obvious. Now, Nima Leiden was asked today after practice, have you always been a guy looking for the big hit? No, I, I kind of had to add that to my game too. It's, uh, the guys are so skilled here, so can't really be a skilled player here. So have to do something else. Well, that's pretty much an ongoing theme for a lot of guys in the NHL. High-scoring players in Bantam, midget if they play it in junior. Uh, probably in the minors, and then you go to adjust when you get to the National Hockey League or even to the AHL, and Nima Linen certainly doing that. We've talked about that with Tyler Benson as well, that he's had to become maybe a little bit more of an irritant on the ice because he's not going to get the top six opportunities here with the Oilers. Nima Linen has been fun to watch and certainly a dimension that the Oilers have been lacking on their blue line in recent seasons, and he's been banging away. Pretty fun to watch him play. Okay, we got to bring you the 7.30 news and weather. We, uh, news and weather. we got the low down on a uh, on a brand new hockey league 
that is uh, getting going, and it's a pretty unique tale, so we'll tell that in a few minutes. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.